Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from Everag Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Erica Medke. We're excited to have you along. If you like what you hear, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. First things first, let's timestamp the episode. Today is Wednesday, April 19th. It is about 3.30 Central Standard Time. And a quick rundown of the markets. CME block cheddar today at a 176, down two cents on the week. Barrels, 153, down a nickel from last Wednesday. Whey at a 38 cents, up less than a penny from a week ago. Butter, we broke the 240 mark at 240 and a quarter, up almost three cents. Nonfat dry milk at $1.16 up a penny. In the grain complex, nearby corn is at $6.72, down five. Nearby soybeans, 15 and six cents, down nearly 13. Soybean meal, $454.40 a ton, down 6.7. Today, we are lucky to have another all-star cast from around the Everag team. Jim Matthews, our global grain and feed director. Zach Bowers, dairy producer, broker agent and John Spainauer, our Senior Commercial Advisor. So as is customary on this show, we start with what's the buzz? What's going on in everybody's world? What's the hot topic? So Jim, I was just listening to Shelby talk a little bit about the Black Sea Corridor from the furrow with Britt O'Connell. What are you seeing in the grain space, whether related to the Black Sea Corridor or other things? Yeah, uh, thanks, Erica. The Black Sea Corridor has definitely been an interesting talking point uh, for you know a good 12 to 14 months now, of course, but continues to play a very supportive role in the markets, especially as it feels like the Russian side of that agreement uh, is potentially backing out. And for a couple of days there, it sounded like they were not going to allow inspections or exits uh, of some of those vessels that were carrying uh, Ukrainian grain. Uh, so we definitely saw some support in the marketplace uh, really starting Friday afternoon and then through yesterday, Tuesday. So three very strong sessions for the corn market. Uh, the Black Sea Corridor is certainly one element of that. Of course, we still have you know Argentine production concerns as another global uh, supply element. And then as both Shelby and Britt have touched on, we've seen pretty decent demand uh, from the Chinese looking for U.S. corn. Really starting in the middle of March all the way up through last week, we had another round of nice purchases from them. So that has been providing some support, especially on old crop. I'd say the you know some of the bigger buzz, especially on new crop now, of course, is that we are in the planting season uh, here in the U.S. So every Monday, the USDA graciously produces a crop progress and conditions report. We get those each afternoon on Monday. And this past Monday, the corn planting pace was above the five-year average. It was at 8% planted nationwide, uh, so a higher-than-expected figure and a nice jump from just 3% the week prior. Um, we had a cooler and wetter start to this week. Of course, we went from about 70 to 80 degrees uh, here just in Chicago, you know, Friday and Saturday of this past weekend to then snow on Monday, which was delightful for the kids, but not for those 
trying to plant corn and beans here this week. So we might get a little bit of a slowdown, but overall, the sentiments have changed a lot year on year and really just in the past few weeks over the what looks like a brisk pace uh, for U.S. corn and soybean planting. And I'd say for new crop, that might limit some rallies that we have been seeing you know, over those last three days as we kind of circle back to the beginning uh, of this conversation. So it'll be an interesting little stretch. Always fun to see that week-to-week corn planting number every Monday afternoon. So we'll see where that takes us over the next few weeks. Zach, what's going on in the producer space? What's the buzz for dairy producers? Yeah, we continue to um, have conversations around milk production, which I know we're going to dive into a little bit deeper here in the next section of this podcast. But, you know, just got back last week, was in California doing some producer meetings, driving around the the old Tulare Lake bed. And when we're looking at California, you know, the real question is, is the worst behind us or not? And how fast that snow is going to melt? Because uh, if they do get a lot of heat or a warm rain, you know, the flooding they had could be three, four times worse uh, this go around, depending on how fast that snow comes out of the mountains. So I think all eyes are still looking there on California. Other big buzzes, you know, again, surrounding milk production is how yields are going to favor or not favor dairy farmers on their Q1 DRP payouts here. You know, these DRP payouts are pretty crucial to these guys. I'm looking at where margins are at on milk minus feed for this Q1, right? So diving into that, talking through that with a lot of guys is, is really where most of the focus from the producers are at. John, what's the buzz in the commercial space these days? Well, Erica, we saw prices go up significantly last year and specifically in cheese. And a lot of that had to do with exports. And in order to maintain those high price levels, we need to maintain high exports. And I think what we're starting to see is as we've rolled into 2023 and moving through the first quarter, yes, we still have exports. We just don't have the strength behind those exports that we had last year. And I think one of the one of the reasons for that is, is that the European market went down to about $1.50 on mozzarella and some of the other products here as we were going into the tail end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023. I, I think we're all becoming more and more familiar with the idea that, yes, we compete against cheddar, but a lot of our exports here, specifically at the swing production level, it's contingent on not cheddar, but on mozzarella prices. And so when mozzarella prices are significantly lower than our cheese prices on the international market, we tend to not have very many exports. And when mozzarella prices are in line with our cheddar or our futures prices, a lot of times we do have exports. And so with European prices being significantly lower than the U.S. for such a long time, I think we did lose out on quite a few exports. And what we're seeing is the result of that. That's coming back into the domestic market. We've seen significant volumes on the CME spot cheddar side of things. And as a result, we have prices on the block barrel average down around $1.63 right now. Uh, a level we haven't been at in some time. And I, again, I think that's not necessarily just a result of spring flush. It's easy to blame it on that, but I think it's more importantly has a lot to do with the uncompetitiveness of our spot and futures price back in the first quarter and still today as we roll into the second quarter. All right. Thank you, panelists. So let's move on to center of the plate and let me give you a quick rundown of today's USDA milk production report. Big news today, overall, the United States up a half a percent, so 0.5% year over year. 
Cow numbers in total were up 31,000 head. The big leading story here, California down 2%. The opposite story, South Dakota was our leading growth state, up 7% on volume. Guys, what do you think about those numbers? Well, I think, you know, California is is around exactly what we were kind of hearing, right? Anywhere in that two to three to some people throwing 4% range out there. But I think obviously that was depending on who you ship to and what area most of those those cows were coming from, right? So not much of a shocker there. And, and I kind of think you're going to expect similar-ish numbers going into our next milk production report out of them. You know, South Dakota obviously has been growing like crazy. I think the biggest thing there is they're pretty well tapped now, right? So there's not a whole lot more cows moving to that region. So it's kind of like, where is the next growth spot, right? I mean, you've got Texas growing, you know, I think they were up 4.7%, which again, you know, obviously we've heard of a lot of cows being added there, but we've also heard, you know, some, a lot of dispersals have been popping up in that region a lot more that are private sales, it sounds like as well too. So I think Texas is going to be a very interesting state to continue to watch as well as some of the Midwest as, you know, their margins should be the best as they have access to the cheapest feed, right? So if we want to see growth out of any region, it's going to be more than likely from them. So I think keeping an eye on those those key states going forward is going to be where most eyes are looking. I would also point out that the uh, second half of the year, that July to Dece curve is pretty elevated, right? Still hovering above $19 in the class three market while we've got a spot market that's more around 1650 on a class three basis. If you were to say, well, why is there such a steep curve there? For a long time, there has been an idea that lower prices in the front end are going to lead to less milk production and therefore higher prices in the back end. And I I still think that's probably going to be the case. But what I think we're seeing here is Lower prices on the front end so far haven't really translated into lower milk production. It certainly slowed the growth, but it hasn't translated into, you know, negative milk production. And I think some people out there were actually looking for a negative milk production report today because of California and for us to still come in 0.5% higher. In my mind, I don't know what it does to the very front end of the spot market. But my guess is, is that it starts to deteriorate that bid out there, at least on the third quarter, and starts pushing out the timeline on when we'll see that drastic reduction in milk production. If we translate milk production into why is the European market so much lower and why are they at $1.50, I would say it very much has to do with milk production in Europe. They have a lot more milk on hand right now than they expected to have, I think. And you've seen while while France never really grew and was down 2.5, you've had areas like Germany that have been up 3% consistently here for most of the fourth quarter and the first quarter of this year. That's just way more milk than they anticipated on having. And that milk production has resulted in them selling milk at a discount into the export market. The reason I bring that up is because European milk production if we translate that back to the idea of exports and exports having an effect on our domestic price, European milk production is weighing our market down as well. So we want to keep an eye on that. And I want to add to that, John, as you bring Europe into the mix, having had conversations with contacts over there, citing it's, yes, it is supply of milk growing, but it's also demand slowing down, that the European consumer has faced a lot more inflation than the American consumer. So 
you have growing supply, declining demand, there is a surplus of milk that has to find a home. And that's what the U.S. is up against for exports. Great discussion, folks. So analysts, let's talk about what you're currently doing to help your clients. John, what have you been up to these days? Well, I think from the commercial aspect, it's a matter of balancing out, hey, these prices specifically in cheese in class three are cheaper than they were last year. Butter, these futures prices are cheaper than they are last year. And it's a real battle to fight that recency bias, I think, of saying these prices are lower. We wrote budgets at a higher price at the end of last year. This is a buy, right? I I guess I would just look at it and say from guiding people through that is to say, you know, how do you have your cake and eat it too in case prices continue to move lower? And I think the way that you do that is that you maintain your flexibility to use options. So it's a matter of saying, I I don't know where prices are ultimately going to go, but no one expected there to be a catastrophe at a farm level that we saw. and, And that could have led to, you know, a drastic reduction in milk production. So far, it hasn't, but it could have caused prices to go significantly higher. So we're never going to be able to predict that kind of stuff. So it's a matter of establishing coverage, but establishing coverage in a way that allows you to participate to the downside right now and avoiding that recency bias. Thanks, John. Zach, what are you doing to help your producer clients? Yeah, so it's along those same lines as John is talking, um, and actually, as he mentioned previously, as we were talking center of the plate, you know, the back half of the curve does actually have a nice premium in it, right? And as we've seen, milk production hasn't slowed as fast as some, you know, might have anticipated, which could be a reason why there was a premium built into that curve, right? So we want to be taking advantage of that premium out there, especially if we start seeing some weakness on the grain front too, you know, you can start to argue there's some margins to be made there, right? So We're looking at taking advantage of that, just layering in to the back half, as well as in the front half, you know, on these low prices, we definitely want to take advantage of managing gains, right? I'm not saying that prices are moving higher anytime soon, but there is always that possibility. And when you're sitting on some, you know, some nice gains from DRP or whatever position you have on, uh, managing that is always a good idea. So we're talking through managing gains in the front half and trying to protect what looks like potentially decent margins in the back half. Thanks, Zach. And last but not least, Jim, what are you doing to help your clients? Well, Erica, in terms of helping our dairy producers from a feed and input cost, uh, we discussed the, the tale of two markets on the corn side of things. Looking out at that new crop corn, though, it does feel like we will have some better opportunities uh, down the road, as Zach alluded to. We seem to have been in a uh, from a December futures standpoint, a 550 to 570 type of range over the past few weeks. We reflect back on that March, uh, end of March acreage report and looking forward into, you know, what is normally some seasonal strength right now as we await to fulfill uh, some of those planting expectations through this planting season. But we often, after that crop is in the ground, get some opportunities on pressure in the futures markets And in terms of helping our producers, we'll look forward to some of those lower futures and basis components into their overall new crop cash values on corn. Overlooked a little bit in this conversation, but on the protein side, you know, meal has been a little bit elevated along with soybean tightness as of late. So in terms of assisting our dairy producers, we'd like to target some of those December numbers at the board down towards maybe $400 per ton, as opposed to the 415 
to 420 levels that we're seeing at the moment. And as markets have indicated and NOPA crush figures indicated this week, we've had some very strong crush numbers in the U.S. Uh, We continue to have talk of more and more processors and refiners coming online over the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months and hopefully hopefully bring some more of that meal supply and protein supply to the marketplace. Well, a big thank you to the panel today, Jim, Zach, and John, for joining me. Great contributions to the buzz in the center of the plate. And Jim, thanks for burying the best advice at the end, rewarding our listeners for listening. I appreciate you all being here and sharing your insights. Thank you, as always, to our media team, Paige, for mixing and mastering. And thank you to the listeners for joining us today. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite app. And if you'd like to learn more about how we help people manage risk, contact us at insights at ever.ag.